Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 239. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lend at Fintech conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th at the Javits Center in New York City. Lending and banking are converging, and Lend at Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech. Lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com slash USA to register. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Freddie Kelly. He is the CEO and founder of Credit Kudos. Now, Credit Kudos is a really interesting company. They, what you would call an alternative credit bureau, or as they say in the UK, a credit reference agency. They're using the power of open banking to be able to bring more people into, into the credit system, more people expanding the credit box for a lot of lenders because they're not really focused on credit history like the traditional bureaus. They are using the power of open banking to be able to connect. People can connect their banking information so they can get an accurate credit assessment on a much broader cross-section of people. So we talk about exactly how they do that. Uh, we talk about the different data points they're using, you know, how they, uh, the type of lenders they're, they're going after and who are using their product today. And we talk about you know, just some of the attitudes towards open banking and, and the success rates that they're getting. We talk about some of the new interesting relationships they have set up and uh, their plans for expansion beyond the UK and much more. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Freddie. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So I, I like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background. You know, you've had uh, you've had an interesting career with, uh, but you've you know you've been doing Credit Kudos for a few years now. But tell us what you did before you started Credit Kudos. So I'm a software engineer by training, I guess. So I studied computer science uh, in the UK. I moved to the West Coast of America after graduating uh, and went to work in sort of fast-growing tech startups. So I, I started working for a business called Bitnami back in 2013 when they were going through or just finishing up uh, with Y Combinator. Uh, and that company was building sort of deployment systems for big cloud platforms like uh, Amazon and Google. Uh, so I spent a couple of years doing that. I then uh, landed in in my first, what I now know as fintech gig at a business called TXN, which was uh, an analytics startup that was looking at the problem of understanding consumer spending behavior uh, through the lens of their bank transactions and trying to repurpose that information, if you like, for big retailers so they could understand uh, what their what their customers were likely to do next. Um, so that was where I really sort of cut my teeth with fintech and, and uh, this transactional data. I then got the opportunity to join a program called Entrepreneur First in London, which is a, a pre-seed startup accelerator. So I, I sort of jumped uh, jumped on a plane and, and came back to London. Uh, and it was about that time that I suddenly realized that, or rather painfully, I guess, realized that I didn't have a, a, a complete credit history. And it was through having to provide bank statements in printed form uh, to my landlord to prove that I was able to pay the rent that I, I sort of hit upon this problem. And having had this experience using transaction data in a much more automated way, uh, the idea for Credit Kudos was really born in, in bringing those things together and, 
uh, trying to make a, a much more effective, accurate credit reference agency, which is what our business is, uh, is all about. Right. Okay. So then let's just dig into that. What, so maybe when you, you, you got started, I said uh, a few years back now, but what was the original mission and does that mission stay, uh, has remained the same today? Uh, yeah. So we want to make uh, credit uh, more fair and accessible uh, for everyone, but particularly with a focus on, on those that are excluded from financial services. So there are about 5.8 million people in the UK that are excluded from, from mainstream credit, uh, depending on what your definition is, that that number changes. Uh, but essentially, the way we look at it is a lot of people currently get rejected for, for loans or credit cards or whatever else because their credit history doesn't portray them in a fair and accurate way. Uh, and indeed, they, they maybe not get, get rejected, but they end up paying a much higher price and a higher interest rate. And if we can build a product that perfectly uh, predicts risk, obviously that's the, dr- the dream, then those people shouldn't end up paying. So what we're trying to do is get as close as possible to perfect by using this new source of data to serve every customer, but particularly those that are, that are financially excluded. So that's, that's really our mission. Okay, so then, and what what is the kind of data that you're actually, can you maybe just dig into that a little bit about the, what data you use specifically that is different from the, the main credit bureaus? Yeah, so a, a traditional credit bureau, depending on which one you look at, will, will use effectively your past borrowing performance as the primary indicator of your credit risk. So mm-hmm. if you've never borrowed money before, then you don't really have a credit score. It's not like you sort of, have it to lose. You have to gain it in the first place by, uh, you know, taking out credit cards, things like that. And so, if you've never used a credit card in, or a loan, then you maybe don't have a credit history. And there are loads of other different examples where people having impaired or non-existent credit files, where they really should be able to access credit. What we do instead of looking at that as our source of input, uh, we look at open banking data or PSD2 data. So, what that that is is basically a new mechanism that gives consumers the ability to securely share data with a a third party such as ourselves through an API, so a a programmatic interface. We get uh, effectively their bank transaction data over an extended period of time, so typically two years. And we use that data to score the consumer and, and provide a decision. And that score is derived from historic information we've seen from other customers. So our model looks at essentially the bank transaction data or open banking data of customers and then how those customers went on to behave. So did they repay back their loan or not? And it it looks at those data points at an enormous scale. And then using that inference that we've built up, we can then predict for a new customer that's sharing their data with us whether they're going to repay. And it means that we're scoring them based on their real financial behavior rather than necessarily just their past credit performance. It's a much more forward-looking prediction. Right. Got it. Okay. So then did you start the company? I mean, obviously, you know, open banking has been in place now in the UK for a couple of years. Did you start the company knowing that open banking was coming and you thought this would be a good way to, a good, a good way to kind of have you have this data available to you? Yes, we did. So open banking is a, is a sort of very seed of an idea it was actually an existence before what we now tend to be Open Banking Limited and the, the regulatory framework. So there was a project by the Open Data Institute, the ODI, uh, that was part sponsored by Barclays, I believe, that was looking at this idea that data could be open and what about banking data being part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, or in fact, a little bit before, the European regulator was introducing uh, Payment Services Directive 2 or PSD2, 
which was a sort of much more high-level overview uh, directive that looked at all different parts parts of the ecosystem. But within that was this scope that uh, banks should be able to provide access to this data through some interface. And so it, it was on the horizon, but it wasn't until the CMA order, the, the Competition Markets Authority here in the UK, that we really put the accelerator on the development of these APIs. And that, as you say, in the last couple of years, has seen those come to a fruition. Right, right. Okay. So then, so maybe you could um, just step back a second and, and tell us how it works. I mean, are you, do you operate in the same way that a normal, you know, credit bureau, credit reporting agency would operate? And you know, maybe you could explain the business model and how it works for both, you know, for both the businesses you're serving and then the individuals. Definitely. So we're regulated in the same way as a traditional credit reference agency, but the the model we've adopted is, is very different. So uh, what would happen ordinarily is is you would apply uh, maybe on the website of a, a lender and they would take your identifying attributes, so your, your name, address, date of birth, and they would search in the background for a matching record with one of the three major credit reference agencies, or at least three major credit ref- reference agencies in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, that would return whatever information they have on you, which might be nothing. With our system, the customer is presented a a consent window in the application journey. So a little bit like buying something with PayPal or or using like a Stripe type uh, checkout, we we embed our process into the loan application journey and the consumer is given the option to use open banking to fulfill their application. And the way that works is say you bank with uh, Barclays Bank, uh, you would say, okay, I, I click on Barclays, and then we take you through a, a normal Barclays online banking login process, or if you're on your mobile, it's the, the mobile app authentication. And past that process will involve you saying how much data you want to share over what period of time uh, and, and consenting to that. And it's very similar to the processes you might have gone through with Google or Facebook when you're sharing your data on a third-party mm-hmm. service. And once we've got that data, we process that and, and build our report, which is then provided to the lender through through API or basically through a, a programmatic connection. And the consumer uh, it can then, if they uh, so desire, they can sever that link and prevent us from accessing that data. Uh, and they can do that from our interface or they can do that from their own bank. So it, it provides a, a much higher level of transparency for the consumer in a process that they're normally uh, in some cases, completely uh, oblivious to, or, or at best, they, they don't really understand how it works. Okay, so then I'm curious about how you interface with the existing credit reference agencies. And, and like, as I imagine, you know, when a person is going through a loan application, this lender is also going to be sort of pinging the, the traditional agencies. Is there, is it sort of a, does it work where if there's no record there, they go to Credit Kudos and go through a system there, or how do you, how does it interface? And I imagine it varies from lender to lender, but maybe what's a typical way that it, that it works? It, it, it does vary. Uh, most lenders will use more than one credit reference agency anyway, irrespective of whether they use our product, mm-hmm. and, and they will combine the different sources to come to their ultimate decision. And so we're, we're no different in that sense. We'll provide uh, an input into their decision, and then they have their basically their credit scorecard, which is the set of business rules that ultimately comes up to the yes or no decision. We are better at serving customers that are, are typically missed by uh, credit bureaus. So you're, you're right, there's sort of a waterfall there. And if, you know, bureau number one or bureau number two doesn't give a, re- a response, we, we can provide a, an answer where they're unable to. But also 
for an increasing number of customers that they use us to fulfill their regulatory obligations to understand the affordability of the credit. So because we're looking at live income and expenditure data for that individual, we can much better understand their ability to repay, which is, of course, crucial in the way that the overall decision is made. And it's something that our regulator, the FCA, has put a lot of onus on firms to better understand. Uh, mm. Whereas, you know, historically, they were able to sort of use statistical data to try and understand at a sort of a, a high level whether someone could afford something. We're now seeing the regulator push more and more for those lenders to use actual validated data. And short of getting the customer to kind of send in pay slips and bank statements, which is obviously a huge source of friction and pain for the mm-hmm. for both parties we can we can automate that and, and provide that that solution for the lender so it it tends to be across the board with with all types of customers but for for various different use cases and different profiles right right okay so i, I know you've been coming to our lended events for a while now but so are you are you mainly focused on the alternative lending space do you have traditional lenders you're working with maybe give us a sense of the, the sort of the cross-section of of lenders that you work with today Absolutely. So we, so we work with all types. I mean, as I kind of alluded to before, if, if you can build something that really works for the sort of most hard to reach customer profiles, you generally end up with a better outcome for everyone. Uh, and we've certainly found that. So we work with anything from sort of small to medium sized credit unions and alternative community finance providers, right through to major uh, credit card vendors, uh, loans providers, motor finance, and then up to more prime products so mortgages, secured loans and and tier one banks uh, and, and mainstream banks uh, and then a little bit as well in in um, product advice and, and and debt advice and things like that so the, the whole spectrum of, of the market which is which is hugely encouraging for us because we're you know we're with effectively the the fourth credit bureau in the uk and we're really providing a different product to what's been on the market historically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure so i'm curious about the consumers i mean because there's been a lot of talk about open banking in the uk and and you know where it hasn't had the same the level of traction i think that people were hoping do you find the consumers that are being presented with with your, your consent journey is there much reluctance there do you find do you find people are now much more open to open banking shall we say Definitely. I mean, there's this kind of, uh, I think it's a little bit of misinformation because I think from a perspective of a lot of the, the sort of skeptics in the industry, they were expecting this moment where everyone kind of talks about open banking and it's really cool and everyone can't wait to use it. And I, I don't think that moment's ever going to happen. It's mm-hmm. in the same way that no one talks about faster payments or backs payments. You know, they're, they're, they're there and everyone uses it, but it, it's not what people are talking about. The service is what's interesting, not the, the functionality or the the how we've seen for the uh, consumer groups that we're looking at really good conversion rates so anything from sort of 80 90 percent at the top end of people consenting to share data we actually recently conducted some uh, research with our uh, partners uh, equinity credit services uh, and we looked at consumers attitudes to adopting open banking in the context of receiving credit and we found that in the 18 to 35 sector around 75 percent of of those that were asked were willing to share data and it really comes down to the value exchange that you give them so if you can say to the customer you know using this process we'll be able to respond to your uh, application in seconds rather than days or we'll be able to give you a higher likelihood of being accepted or a lower interest rate then those types of uh, value exchanges consumers are really willing to to share data with and, and ultimately this is data that 
in many senses is already being shared and this is just giving them control over that sharing which is i think empowering Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense that makes sense so so then i'm curious about the like how you're you're taking this data and are you i mean maybe you could tell us how are you using artificial intelligence machine learning in this i mean how you're approaching you know how you sort of building your models that are providing a you know a score back to the lenders what's your approach to the data analytics there yeah so i i'm always wary of sort of talking about ai and machine learning because they they've become kind of uh, buzzwords that yeah. that often mis- misplaced I, I think the the thing that's really interesting with any type of lending decision regardless of what uh, data is going into it is it, it's it's a problem of pattern recognition right it's you know what do i know from customers i've seen before that typically um, meant that they were went on to repay or not repay and so there's some really simple things like knowing that you know if a customer's defaulted a load of times before it's probably likely that they might do that again and and, and that you know is a really simple sort of knockout rule but there are more nuanced complex behaviors that can be detected in much larger data sets that are also highly correlative to outcome Uh, and the way that we get to those uh, behaviors and understand them is using supervised machine learning so machine learning meaning pattern recognition uh, and supervised meaning that we know what the outcome is that we want to get to so the outcome for us is should we lend yes or no the way we train those models is based on historical data so that bit that i alluded to before is having a database that essentially says this was customer a's bank transaction data before the point that they applied for the loan and then this is how they went on to repay that loan did they repay it on time did they repay the full amount and so on and so forth uh, and, and by replicating those sort of layers of data at scale you can build a model that basically given any new uh, input of bank transaction data, can uh, sort of compare that to, to the universe of other customers that have previously been through that process and then use that to predict whether that customer falls into the yes or no in terms of whether they're going to repay. So that, in kind of really simple terms, is how we look at it. And I, I guess we're doing it on thousands of dimensions because we have thousands of transactions for each customer. But if we were to do it on, uh, if we take a really simple example or a problem on, on two dimensions, we might have, and this is one from my uh, my university days, so apologies if it sounds kind of silly, but you might have uh, you know a, a, an X and Y axis with height and weight of a group of people, and your problem might be to understand whether they play rugby or uh, a ballet dancer, and you're typically going to end up with loads of crosses in the top left and bottom right, and, and then your machine learning process is basically just drawing a circle around each of those and knowing that when you get a new observation, which group it fits into. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine that, taking place on uh, a thousand dimensions or more, that's essentially the, 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 the process that we're applying. Uh, and it's by having good training data that you get good accuracy. Right, because I mentioned the, the, the data is being, you're learning about all the transactions, right? So you're, you're, ta- you're, you're sort of you know, taking in the, the bank account data and being able to sort of, you know, I imagine you've got every single person is going to have you know, dozens, possibly hundreds of, of data points there by looking at that data. So I imagine, I mean, once you get the model going well, that you can get a very accurate model because there's just each person has such rich data when you're, when you're looking at their, you know, at their transaction um, data, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's a much stronger signal. You know, what we are comparing to it, it 
is quite a blunt instrument when we think about traditional credit data because it's either there or it's not and you only really know if someone's bad you don't know if they're good if, if you see what i mean so you know right. we only we only really record that customers don't repay or they do repay but we don't record that they're you know setting money aside and saving we don't record that they're financially healthy we don't record that you know their financial trajectory and money management capability over each month is is good or that their ability to withstand uh, some kind of uh, financial shock is there and, and all of those things are, are captured by the data that we're looking at uh, and, and and even even more so and, and what we're able to do is predict things like the liquidity of a, of a bank account so the the likelihood that that account is going to stay in a positive balance over a certain period of time and that would capture you know up to the second the behaviors of that customer so whereas a you know someone who's maybe just had a sudden run of, of negative transactions would normally not uh, have that data reflected on a traditional credit file we can immediately see that and show that and, and catch that behavior and similarly on the upward angle we can show that a customer who maybe has poor perceived traditional credit history is actually on a, a, an upward trajectory you know they're, they're making sensible financial decisions that are pushing them up uh, and we can also demonstrate that ability so we, for, for some of our clients we've been able to find these kind of uh, false negatives you like so people they were rejecting that they could have been lending to uh, and allow them to lend to those and so it's for them it's a, a massive financial uh, gain in terms of their, their revenue and, and their ability to lend more accurately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure that makes sense so which brings me to another point that i just thought of I mean, in, in, in the US, there's, you know, cash flow data, bank account data is really becoming a must have for all the lenders. And I mean, even some of the, uh, you know, the traditional credit bureaus are, are, are you know, are producing, are creating products that, that allow this kind of thing. And I'm curious about the, in the UK, because I mean, you don't, your, your focus is on the underserved, but, to me, it, it it sort of begs the question: Well, why is it just that? Why isn't it for the already well served? Because this information, you know, bank account data, as you just pointed out, is more is richer than just getting um you know, getting the the borrower the previous credit data that uh, is there. So, I mean, is you know, you say on your website, better credit for all, but then you kind of talk about the underserved. But isn't this really a bigger play than that? Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. I- I apologize if I didn't make that clear. I, I think for us, solving the problem for the underserved allows us to to be better uh, across the board. And so when I think about it and I sort of imagine a, a spectrum of, of risk from, you know, super prime to, to subprime, generally you'll find that there are areas, uh, pockets of, of risk across that spectrum that are currently misserved. And that can be right at the top as it can be at the bottom. And using our, our data to enrich those decisions is valuable at all those points. You know, we we do a lot of work in in mortgage lending, for example, where understanding the financial ability and, and affordability of the customer is a, a huge pain point, and it's definitely not an underserved segment. But it, it's still a, a, a area which there, there's a massive improvement to be made on the risk capability of those decisions. So definitely, we, we're we're providing for all the sort of focus or. or uh, view on underserved is that if we can get it right for what you'd argue is the hardest segment to reach, then we can get it right for everyone. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, you know, last year at Lender at Fintech Europe, you introduced a new credit risk score, um, the liquidity score. Why don't you explain a little bit about that and uh, and how that's different? Absolutely. So uh, liquidity uh, is effectively the 
the availability of funds in an account uh, or a number of accounts for a consumer uh, in any period of time. Uh, and it's one of the, the hardest things to understand from traditional credit reference agency data. So at the moment, some of the banks share sort of high level balance data with each of the credit bureau. Uh, and that data effectively shows their, their kind of monthly closing balance, but it doesn't show how that balance was was reached over the month and how that data sort of trends. Um, so the most simple approximation you can understand if you were to sort of look at your your own P&L over a month, you'd see a line going from payday down to the end of the month, hopefully, uh, and there'd be some kind of um, trajectory there. And what we're doing with the liquidity score over a month, three months, uh, and and uh, sixty days. So sorry, a month, two months, and and, and uh, three months um, is to basically predict where that that direction of travel is going and and so that we can understand in a future looking sense where the customer is likely to be and and whether they're likely to stay positive and that's obviously hugely important to understand whether a customer can afford credit so rather than just taking a static snapshot of the customer and saying well they've got money in their account so they can afford this loan we're actually going to look at that and see well maybe they've got money in their account, but we know that there's a recurring bill that's about to go out. And so that won't be there for much longer. Uh, and if you're going to lend them X amount, their repayment's going to be Y, and therefore they're going to need this much a surplus to afford that. And is that going to fit? And so it's a much, much sort of higher fidelity measure of the affordability. And, and it's a predictive forward looking measure. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds cool. That's that's excellent. So another thing that I, I saw that this was announced a couple of months ago now, late last year, you had a, a um, I saw this thing about ClearScore, which um, provides you know, free credit scores, I think, to the, uh, maybe you can tell me exactly what they do, but they, you know, they're partnering with you guys to serve underserved borrowers. So tell us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, so, so in the UK, a vast amount of credit is intermediated in some way. So people will typically go on price comparison services or they'll search through different products to find the right rights uh, solutions for them uh, and ClearScore is one of the largest businesses in that space they have about 8 million customers in the uk i believe and they provide free access to the consumer's credit score so in, in their instance an equifax credit score one of the challenges they have is obviously for a lot of the customer profiles we've just talked about they can't necessarily match the consumer to the right products or even be able to find the right products for the for the for the individual and also when they're sort of providing recommendations and coaching and and allowing them to understand how to improve their financial situation. A lot of those recommendations, if they're based on traditional credit data, aren't as, as bespoke or prescribed as perhaps they could be. Uh, and so our collaboration with ClearScore is aiming to tackle those those challenges. So first and foremost, can we embed uh, this new source of data into the way, into the, the decision-making process for the lenders that work with ClearScore, so ClearScore as the broker, can we help them use that information to to make more prescribed offers to their prospective customers? And then can we also use that information to help those customers coach or, or understand their own financial situation and, and move towards better financial resilience and, and, and better financial outcomes? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's hugely exciting because it's one of the largest sort of credit marketplaces in the UK. Right, right. Okay. So then I'm wondering about, you know, when you're, when you're going out and trying to, you know, sell, sell this to lenders, I mean, I imagine because I mean, I imagine you're, you're obviously a lot smaller than in the, than the major credit bureaus. You're you're still a, a startup, I guess. But um, are you is is the biggest sort of 
thing that you're trying to the, the, the thing you're trying to overcome is it the is it sort of the the fact that they that it's a lot of work or I'm just one of trying to get a sense of this to me as you're talking I mean it's like this is a no-brainer I feel like for every lender to have but you know I take it you don't have every lender in the UK yet so what is sort of the what's the friction there that that, that stops people from from jumping on board we're certainly working on it <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think the uh, the challenge is quite interesting because you're right it, it is a no-brainer uh, I think for for most and and, and we certainly get that response with with almost every lender we speak to the challenges are in terms of how you embed what is a completely new data source to many um how how you get that data embedded into their existing decision process in a way that meets their regulatory obligations meets their compliance obligations in the way that they are comfortable with and obviously with open banking data because it's hinged on consumer consent there's no sort of big historic data set that lenders have access to that they can kind of run some retrospective analysis on in the way that they would with traditional credit data before implementing some policy changes. Mm -hmm. And so we have to invent a new process for actually how you integrate this data into your lending decisions and and, and get those benefits we've been talking to. Uh, And that's really where our business uh, comes in and, and how we help the companies we work with. So we already have a huge amount of expertise and a huge amount of data that allows us to provide this modeling service and provides allows us to provide these these scoring services sort of out the box um, but then we also have a huge amount of expertise in how we integrate these into existing models how we provide that into a, a lending decision we also have lending management software that allows people to uh, interpret this data and triage cases and things like that so the challenge is is kind of how you and I guess this isn't unique uh, to us. It's, it's kind of universal with financial services, how you, you sort of get through the inertia barrier and get, get this stuff integrated and start to kind of, as, as many venture capitalists say, sort of take a wedge and then expand it. And then that's really the, the approach we've taken. And we've seen many of our customers sort of in terms of where they were a year ago, you know, over a thousand percent growth in the amount of customers they're putting through open banking as a, as a source of risk. So right. it, it is. Right, right. Got it. Okay. So, so then did you find that I imagine it's easier, like the fintech lenders are a bit more nimble, the peer-to-peer lenders, the online people, the online lenders, they're a bit more nimble, I imagine, than the traditional banks. Are they, are they an easier sell than I imagine going to a, a, a traditional bank? Yeah, I think, I think that's fair to say. I mean, some of our earliest clients were in alternative finance and peer-to-peer lending, but, but increasingly over time that, that's changed. And I think one of the really interesting things to see is because open banking has kind of eroded some of the the walled garden of, of transaction data that banks tier one banks uh, have been sitting on for all this time they've all realized that you know sitting still is not a strategy and they're trying to understand how they can you know if if, if hsbc is having to give this data away how does it also benefit from uh, this data as an input when one of their competitors customers are, are switching to them and and that's meant that we're now seeing uh, tier one banks, you know, really move quickly in, in trying to build out new lending products using this information. And we're working with five or six of the, the tier one banks in the UK to do that. Right, right. Okay. Okay. We're, all, we're almost out of time, but a couple more questions before uh, before I go. Are, are you have any plans to expand beyond the UK? I know with Brexit now, it's going to be, it's, it's a bit more challenging, I guess, to go over to continental Europe. But what, what are your expansion plans for international? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely doing so. So we, we very recently, recently launched in in the Republic of Ireland. We're working in about five or six different geographies across Europe at the moment on implementation. The challenge there is that although PSD2 
um, which is that that piece of regulation I mentioned before is is in effect. We're sort of seeing this kind of slow adoption process that arguably we saw kind of a year and a half ago uh, kick off in the UK. Um, and so there, there is a sort of various degrees of readiness across Europe. But our ultimate goal is to build that level of interoperability, because what's really nice about this data set is it's universal. So, you know, a customer from France can come to the UK and apply with the same data and get the same result. And there's a proper sort of passportability around the data. And, and so that that's that's definitely something that we're eyeing up in the next uh, year, year and a half as those APIs become sort of market ready. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. So then, so then, what's um, what, what's on tap for this year? What's what's next for for Credit Kudos? So we're expanding pretty rapidly, and and so a lot of that is going into engineering. So we're releasing uh, a range of new features that allow more decision making to be done in house using this data set. Um, we were recently awarded a number of price prize grants from the Treasury in the UK and, and uh, the grant body uh, Nesta. Uh, and they were looking at how new data and new technology can be used to uh, deliver better decision making for alternative finance providers. Uh, and so through that work, we've built a whole range of new different uh, scoring capabilities and new product features that we're rolling out. And we're now scaling those up for newer, uh, bigger lending applications. Um, we're also looking at the intermediary market. So that piece I mentioned in relation to ClearScore earlier, I think is a, a massive uh, area of growth in the, in the next year for open banking. You know, consumers generally like to shop around and if they can use their data on a neutral platform to be able to shop around across the maximum amount of lenders in the market, then they're going to get best possible outcomes. And I think mm-hmm. there's a really nice opportunity to flip the model and allow lenders to bid for the consumer's business based on their ability to assess that consumer's holistic data and, and open banking being a big part of that. Uh, and so we're building a lot of the pipe work that's going to enable that in the next six months. So lots of lots of big things, plus the expansion, uh, plus new geographies. So uh, we're, we're very busy. Interesting. Well, it's, uh, you know, certainly, you're certainly doing some great work there, Freddie. I wish you the best of luck and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay. See ya. You know, sometimes I'm a little bit envious of the UK for their open banking um, initiatives they have, where where you know, where banks are, have been made to connect or to, to make available their uh, their data through APIs to third parties. And we certainly don't have that here, but we we are achieving some of the same goals anyway here in the US. I think that the power of cash flow, underwriting the power of banking data, I think has been uh, has been proven here and uh, you know. I would I would say it's now the norm, and I think it's it's going to become that way in the UK as well, because it just simply is a much more accurate way, as Freddie said, to to underwrite uh, borrowers. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th at the Javits Center in New York City. Lending and banking are converging and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com slash USA to register.